Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to our podcast for Silence the Shame. We want to thank everyone who's been listening. I'm really excited. Our numbers are growing. Um, I have my girl Cameron in the building today, who is one of our committee members and has been working so hard to help us launch. And our launch is coming up next week, so we're really excited, and we're going to tell you guys about it uh, before the end of the program. But you were listening to episode four of the Silence the Shame podcast. Again, we are growing and just so excited to be sharing and, and really continuing our effort to normalize the conversation around mental health. Uh, in the studio today, we have Dr. Bakari Vickerson. Hi. Welcome to the show. Uh, Dr. B- Should I call you Dr. Bakari or Dr. Vickerson? What do you prefer? Um, you could say Dr. V. A lot of people Dr. V. Dr. I like that. Okay, let me write that down so I don't forget that. Okay, Dr. V. So, Dr. V, I know you went to uh, Morehouse School of Medicine and you also practice as a psychiatrist at Grady. Yes. Um, I actually currently work for Morehouse School of Medicine. Okay. And they um, subcontract me to do work at Grady Memorial Hospital. Okay. Um, where I work with the assertive community treatment team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we provide intensive outpatient psychiatric services um, in a team approach and comprehensive approach uh, to patients uh, where they live. So we actually. So break that down people. to us in layman's terms. Okay. okay. What do you really do? Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, in order for patients to qualify for our services or mm-hmm. for them to be eligible, mm-hmm. uh, they have to have a severe persistent mental illness, okay. um, which is schizophrenia, mm-hmm. uh, schizoaffective disorder, okay. um, or bipolar disorder, or a similar mental illness. Um, they also have to have three hospitalizations within one year mm-hmm. um, or uh, multiple incarcerations due to uh, untreated mental illness and the hospitalizations are they would have to be psychiatric hospitalizations mm-hmm. so basically this is what about like chronic depression as well um well so because we go out to people mm-hmm. our services are reserved for patients who have difficulty making appointments i see mm-hmm. um and it's thought of as a cost-effective way to uh, decrease uh, hospital costs. Yeah. No, that's great. That yeah. you, It's almost like a mobile service, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're really excited to have you on the show and, and, and just appreciate you taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule no to be with us today. Um, our next guest that we'd like to welcome to the show is Miss Tanya Walden, uh, a dear friend of mine that I've known, gosh, probably at least 25 years now from working in the days with... Dallas Austin, who was uh, almost like a partner with us at LaFace Records and all that we did. Um, Tanya and I kind of grew up in the Atlanta scene and working with Monica and, and some wonderful artists. Um, Tanya uh, is here today, and I'm truly humbled and grateful that she's willing to share her story with us today. Uh, let's welcome to the show Tanya Walden. Woo! Hi, Tanya. Hi, Shanti. How's it going, girl? I am so glad that you're doing this. It's power behind the, the words, really. Thank you so much. And and I really appreciate you um, just being so open to share because I know it hasn't always been difficult with you, you know, just really sharing and, and, and being so vulnerable. So we appreciate that. Yeah. So it, you want to kind of scary subject for me. You want to um, kind of take us through a little bit of, of what happened. How many years ago has it been now? Um, 
October 16th of this year will be six years. Um, it's my son. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a single mother. I remember when he was born. Yeah. <laughs> I love your you son dearly. A Star Wars spaceship, and you have on a Star Wars shirt today, so that's cool. Oh, wow. You have a great memory. <laughs> he, re- he remembers that often. That's so cool. Um, you know, he had a normal childhood. At least I thought it was normal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being around the recording industry was definitely probably a little bit complicated. I left when he was on his way to third grade. Um, things just seemed to be really simple, normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had perks, obviously, that uh, I didn't realize every kid weren't accustomed to until I was out on my own mm-hmm. from the recording industry. I started really early. I met. Dallas when he was 13. Wow. um, And that story is funny. I was just his person to take him to and from school. So Mm -hmm. me evolving into the music industry just kind of happened. But uh, the long short of my situation with my son is he was fine. By the time he went to college, um, there had been some changes at home. I ended up caring for my father. Um, Dementia and rheumatoid arthritis had really just taken over him, and I didn't want him at my house, but he ended up having to live with me. Mm -hmm. Um, I came down with, uh, we didn't know what it was, so I'd say came down with because it was something that was very rare called hyperacusis, and additionally to that was misophonia. It prompted so many other illness. With that, uh, I was hearing things, I thought. But it came to be that um, sound was completely magnified everywhere all the time. Okay. That thrust us as a family into a bit of a tailspin because things had to change. But still, with my son, we, we were maneuvering through. I mm-hmm. thought we were doing just fine. How old was he when you first saw a, ch- a shift in him? You know, I, I saw things that were happening where he would be emotional. Um, I am a single parent. He had some issues of not being able to communicate well with his father. Mm-hmm. So that became a huge issue at home every now and then. But nothing that would cause an alarm he would just be upset he would cry Mm -hmm. and he would you know but become silent and a little bit reclusive Mm -hmm. but nothing to make me say oh we need to see a doctor he's becoming too reclusive Mm -hmm. we lived in a a racially divided neighborhood so there weren't a lot of children either Mm -hmm. Um, so we brought everyone in who was a part of boy scouts and uh, you know, recreational activities and basketball and things of that nature. So he was well-rounded. Mm-hmm. I really didn't see a real spike, Shanti, until sophomore year of college. And so that would have been what, 19? Uh, well, he was 19, about to be 20. It was uh, in March. I got a call from one of his professors. He was doing well in school. And she said, he's acting out. He's having a meltdown. His grades were good. I, I really didn't understand why he was spiraling. And I said, well, what is it? What mm-hmm. is he doing? She said, well, he's crying, and he's become reclusive, and he doesn't want to show up, and he's isolated himself from the class. Mm-hmm. So that was one thing, and then it just kind of 
transition from there. Let me um, shoot to Dr. V for a second. Now, what I've seen is oftentimes certain symptoms show themselves with men around, you know, 18, 19, 20. Is that what you found over the years is, is when, you know, some of the chemical imbalances start showing themselves in adolescents around that age? Um, definitely there are some illnesses um, in which the peak incidence of onset mm-hmm. is in their teenage years, mm-hmm. uh, especially as far as for males uh, with schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. Um, the peak age of onset is in their teenage years. Um, but teenage life and teenage years in and of itself brings about um, a wide array of challenges. Mm-hmm. And it can be very um, common for a teenager to um, come in contact or to be involved in an experience for the first time in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, it's what's known as adjustment disorder. It can be very common during these times because they are they they have new experiences that they've never um, have dealt with before, mm-hmm. and the way that they deal with it um, oftentimes has a lot to do with um, their history of and their coping skills, and also there's a bio, there, there's, there's a biological component as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, in order for me to speak specifically um, about your son and kind of um, what may have been going on. Um, probably you know just a little bit more about maybe um, if there was a diagnosis. And if there was a diagnosis, it may be that, it, um, that the peak age is in teenage years. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, teenage years can be a difficult time. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Especially so, nowadays. Yeah. yeah. So kind of take I us agree. back yeah. to that time, yeah. Tanya, um, and then when you really saw the shift. Did, was there a diagnosis before no. it happened? Mm. Um, when I when I was diagnosed with hyperacusis, I, I decided that because it had been such a huge turnaround in our home mm-hmm. and it was really shaken, I decided I would send him to therapy. I talked to him about mm-hmm. it first, and he agreed to it mm-hmm. because uh, – they didn't know what was wrong with me, and I was right. sick for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, he went to therapy at that time, and you know he actually enjoyed talking with the therapist. He wow. he didn't resist it at all. Uh, but I did that because of my situation, mm-hmm. and I wanted to make sure that he wasn't bottling anything up. Sure. But things were, as I said, we were maneuvering through life, uh, so not even with training wheels. He was on a 10-speed. He was yeah. just doing fine. It wasn't really until he... Went away to college, you know. Now, right before college, I, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. That was another blow. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I really thought that he was getting through it. We did have some um, go-sees at uh, colleges where he would have been able to get a scholarship. He played the upright bass in the orchestra. He was first chair for a couple of years. And um, we looked at Vanderbilt, uh, Emory. They had uh, a scholarship available for him. But he decided that, you know what, I'm just going to stay home a while. I Is found that, that when everything happened? No. Things are still going okay, mm-hmm. I thought. And um, he decided to go to Albany. And when he decided that, I was a little taken back. Like, really? You want to do that? Mm-hmm. 
but that's what he did. Um, his cousin had gone, and she finished there, so that's what he did. He went, and I thought he was doing okay. We would visit. He would come home. He had a job. Um, he worked at a skate center. And again, you know, the up and down every now and then with his father, nothing that would have made me think he's about to spiral out of control and want to hurt himself. So take, can you it, take us to that time period? It was in March. When I revisit March, he was a whole different young man. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, what do we do? He said, I need to come home. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's From what, Albany? From Albany. Okay. And that's what he did. We, uh, I brought him home, and I said, you need to see someone. He said, I want to see someone. Mm -hmm. So he started taking himself. He was going about three times a week. To see a therapist? Yes. And she said, well, you know, he's a little depressed. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, no, this is not even my son anymore. He's different. And he began to do things like uh, he wanted to paint his room a different color, like a dark red. Uh, he was running away, like literally middle of the night leaving, and I had to look for him, call the authorities to find him. Mm -hmm. So he was acting out in a... Was he using any recreational drugs? At that think? time, no. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I think he was drinking, though. Okay. But, um, and if he was, you know what? That he was keeping from me at that time. Mm -hmm. At that time, I, I didn't know it, but I did know about the drinking occasionally. Mm -hmm. So I really don't know. I, 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 I asked for help. I called crisis centers. I was looking... And I said, no, he's different. I don't know if we'll make it to 21 if he doesn't get some help. Mm -hmm. And the crisis centers, uh, you know, it's an assessment process. Mm -hmm. If he doesn't right. pass that, then right. it doesn't work out. Um, back in July that year, um, we had been gone through some really challenging things. We went to see my brother and mm -hmm. to Monica's wedding. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, this will be a good vacation for him. Mm -hmm. It'll be an outlet. He had a meltdown with my brother and disappeared for three hours. And mm -hmm. it just had us all in a panic. Mm -hmm. And um, when we got home then, he went back to therapy. He was having trouble with his girlfriend. I mean, the fights had just become unbelievable. Just very upset all the time, turmoil. And I just said, okay, I don't know what to do with him. And no one would hear me for me to be able to put him in a place because they said, well, he needs to pass our assessment. Mm -hmm. And I, that policy makes me not understand, you know, the system. What happens? What's the breakdown? I'm telling you as a parent, and they're saying, well, he's 20. He has to tell, him his, tell us himself. I said, okay, well, he's telling you he doesn't know what's wrong with him, but he thinks there's something. But it's difficult, right, Dr. V, when the parents can no longer make the decision anymore and the child becomes an adult, but they don't really know what's wrong with them. But there's a problem there. And if there hasn't been psychosis or something that's extreme, is there any help really out there? Well, um, you're right. It is very difficult. And oftentimes... Because um, you don't know how to identify it, even as a mental health disorder. You don't know how to identify it. It's new. It's the first time you're seeing it. Mm -hmm. You don't know if it's the phase um, mm -hmm. that your child is going through. Mm -hmm. um, you don't know just how serious to uh, take what you see. Uh, and then on the other hand, there are services, even mobile outreach services, who 
will only go but so far unless there's actually been a threat right. um, of self-harm or a threat to others' well-being mm -hmm. uh, or specific acts that have been done um, in order for them to, well, in an attempt to harm themselves. Right. Um, and then the third criteria would be if they are in an, in, an imminently life-endangering crisis mm -hmm. uh, that would put themselves in harm, such as a person maybe um, who refuses to eat or so forth. Okay. Um, okay. So those are kind of the three criteria that have to be in place in order for um, something to be done involuntarily. Sure. Um, but outside of that, it can be very difficult um, especially if the person is resistant. And in this case, it sounds like the person wasn't, your son he wasn't was resistant yeah, and he, was, okay and he was compliant and it was still a challenge. Yeah. yeah. So can you take us to that day, Tanya? Yeah. I, it was, uh, he had been so sad for so long. I knew that every day would be emotional for him. I knew that he would wake up sad. Mm -hmm. I knew that he would cry himself to sleep. He would have friends over. That day I went to church and I went to a play. Um, I would come home in between both of those things because I had my father at the time too. Mm -hmm. And my son was taking care of my father for me that day. And uh, I came home in the middle of the play before we were gonna go to dinner. I asked him if he wanted to go, he said no. And I said, you know, I, I don't know that I should really go. Maybe I should just stay in. He said, no, you go ahead and go. Mm -hmm. I did. And um, he, well, let me back up. The Thursday before, I had called the authorities. Mm -hmm. it, you know, and I still don't understand why they didn't take him that day. But they did not take him. It didn't matter what well, I what said. What did he do that day? He had run away. He was in rage. He oh, was okay. the incredible Hulk. Mm. Yeah, so that yeah. and I did not understand that I called the crisis unit. They talked to him. They did an assessment. They decided we're going to make a future appointment. Mm. This mm. was Thursday. Mm. Well, he stole the car because I, had, you know, taken the keys away because he was acting bizarre. Mm -hmm. And um, he he left, and I didn't know where it gone until maybe three, four hours later. And the police, by this time, I think they were sick of me calling for that. But uh, he had gone to Albany. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know now why he, why he went. Um, when he came back, he was a little calmer. Things were a little bit different. Let's fast forward from now it's Saturday mm -hmm. and go to Sunday. I had gone to church and all of that. We're back from dinner. Didn't know if I was going to take him or not because I was. He, he, I don't think he wanted to go. Mm -hmm. He calls me right before the food came and said, you got to get home right now. And I said, oh. And I said, I have to go. I got a to-go box. I got home as soon as I could. He was a mess. He was crying. He was anxious. He was pacing. And I said, what is it? He just said, I just can't get a handle on things. And I guess by this time, you know, I, I didn't realize that it had been a plan for him. Clearly it had been a plan. Mm. Mm. Uh, but I didn't know that. Um, 
And I didn't know that his visit to Albany on Saturday was his last meal, his favorite thing that he liked to eat. Oh, wow. All of these things. And if I back up a little further, February, I asked him, what would you like for your birthday? Would you like an iPad? He told me, no, I want a dog. We never had a dog. Mm -hmm. But we got the dog. Mm -hmm. I now know that that dog was left for me because he wouldn't be here. Mm. And uh, her name is Phoenix, Rose from the Ashes. That day progressed. I'm there. He's upset. Finally got him calm. Um, I said, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to paint? Because he likes art. He paints a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, yeah, let's do that. You know, we were watching some favorite things on television. So he began to paint, and he painted a couple of things and one thing in particular it says it's hard to identify me because you've never encountered me or something like that and um, he said um, do you mind if I run and get me some pichos from the store and I said you want me to ride with you because you know I didn't want to not let him go mm -hmm. because he had calmed and I right. don't want to take that away right. and he, he said no I'll, I'll be right back I said okay he showered put on nice clothes well jeans t-shirt but it was nice for him <laughs> to just run to the store yeah and uh it took him 15 minutes it's a five minute ride so i called and i said hey you want to get me something from the store i was just trying to keep him yeah with me mm -hmm. and uh he was upset i heard the music in the background and uh he said i'm, I'm gonna go to my girlfriend's mm -hmm. i said okay uh, so I started to text her, mm -hmm. put him on speaker and mm -hmm. text her to let her know he's on his way there. Can you tell me what's going on? Mm -hmm. And, you know, she said, I don't know if she was going to shower or whatever. I'm not really sure of the details on that. Mm -hmm. But uh, whatever it was, when he got there, I was on the phone with him and something just told me to call the police. He said to me, uh, hey, I left some pictures for you to look at. I said, okay. But I had already started calling him. Mm -hmm. I grabbed the computer. I said, what's your password? Mm -hmm. And he said, no, there's no password. I put him on mute, and I instantly told him, I said, I've been calling, and I know I'm getting on you all's nerves, but I think that he's going to harm himself. Please find him. Mm -hmm. I gave him the tag number. So um, that was pretty much how that was transpiring with that mm -hmm. uh, they were looking is for that him. when it happened I w yes i was on the phone my father was sitting in the chair the dog was barking um and i heard the gunshot oh i never knew that you heard it yeah mm. yeah and uh i heard uh some gurgling and the officers were able to get there and uh, I just heard them say that they were losing him and mm. they didn't know where to take him at first. They were trying to decide if it was going to be Atlanta Medical or Grady. And uh, it seemed like it was forever, but it was probably all of a minute that they didn't realize that the phone was, he has a phone. And uh, I guess when they touched it, it went off, so I couldn't mm -hmm. hear anything else. So when the officer got to me, they told me that he... Um, they weren't sure uh, if he had made it, 
Mm-hmm. And I said, well, can we find out something? They said, well, we have to find out where they're taking them first. It seemed like hours. Mm-hmm. Finally, my godson got there, and um, I called my mother, and she, I couldn't tell her what was happening, but she came up so she could sit with my father. And um, that's it. It was a long night. Mm-hmm. I got to the hospital, and yeah. it was a long wait. I didn't know if he had survived or not. Yeah. Uh, he had lost so much blood, and um, he he did. He shot himself in, in the head underneath his neck and uh because his foot from my understanding was uh the car wasn't in park Mm -hmm. he must have jerked so it was able to come out through uh, the side of his face by his nose Mm -hmm. so um he tore his entire mandible and shattered uh several bones in his face and most of his teeth and his tongue well first of all i just have to say um I know that's not easy sharing that, Tanya, and um, we are certainly with you here and present and and feel everything. Um, Obviously, we can't place ourselves in your shoes, but I certainly, um, my heart goes out to you from having to experience that. Uh, For our listeners, the good news is our Devin survived, and by the grace of God, he is still here with us. but we want to continue on talking about the journey and and, and what happened after that. Um, Dr. V, have you ever experienced anything like this with any of your patients that tried to take their own life and what that process was like in terms of getting them diagnosed and treated? Um, well, I've, I've, well, I just, I just like to say, I really appreciate you for sharing that and um, definitely moved um, and it's a lot of courage to um, express that and, and uh, to silence that shame for sure definitely I have a 10 month old and just thinking about the possibility you know because you never know um, and you know, I I personally have not experienced anything like that, and in my profession, um, you know, the unfortunate thing is that um, there can be very little signs when someone is determined to uh, harm themselves, mm-hmm. and if they are, um, if there's a serious conviction. Um, one of the things that we're taught in residency is that a high-risk time is um, when patients actually start to feel better and have more energy. Really? Um, because at that time, they can go through with uh, plans that uh, they already mm, made. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and Which is interesting because, you know, I told you my dad committed suicide, and I've I've heard family members that are no longer with us say that he mentioned it mm-hmm. and so I mean obviously I was seven months old so I don't know unfortunately I never got to meet my dad but he talked about it and he asked one of my uncles to make sure that he you know took care of mm-hmm. his kids and I thought wow he, he did plan it mm-hmm. or knew what he was going to do mm-hmm. did, he, did he leave a note nope <laughs> 
did not leave a note. Yeah, I was left a video. Wow. You were. Wow. That's the the pictures. It was oh, the video. Okay. Ah. Hmm. Tell me, Tanya, um, how long was he in the hospital? And then at what point were his doctors, you know, once he got back to some level of recovery, if you will, were they able to diagnose him? That, that you know, Dr. V, this is an interesting mm-hmm. point of view here. Uh, I was still struggling to get the information and to get him help. We were in the hospital. He was on life support for 16 days or something like that, somewhere around mm-hmm. in there. But we were in the hospital almost two months. Mm. And uh, we've had some incidents once he came out of um, his comatose state. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he was fighting with himself, trying to get his feeding tube out. Mm. They put some mittens on his hands. But no one talked to me at all about a next level of care. I had to ask them, oh, say, wow. hey, hey, do you guys remember why we're here? I know you guys are really excited that he lived through it. Mm-hmm. But he's alive now, and he didn't want to be. What do I do with him? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He is waking up alive. Mm-hmm. Where do we go from here? Mm-hmm. And it, it was as if, well, it's oblivious. You know, he's recovered. You guys can get out of here now. Eventually, I got someone to come down and give us an assessment, and he went to the psych ward for a, a, a short while. Mm-hmm. But with that, they gave us um, post dates of when we would start therapy. It was near 100 days out. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, that's a long time. Well, you can see... Uh, independent therapy. I said, yes, but is there anything else to offer? Do you have any support groups for people who survive a suicide attempt? Um, well, no, not really. I, I was just, I didn't know what to do with myself. That's got to be a flaw in the system, right? I mean, kudos to, to everything, you know, that, that Grady's done and is, is doing. But so many of the hospitals now, you know, they don't have a lot of psych beds. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, they don't have the room or the space or the care. And, and I just hate that you had to go through that it, for it to take so long to really find the proper care. I mean, can you speak um, from your background, Dr. V? Have you seen a lot of changes, you know, over the last five to ten years for the better? Because, you know, years ago, a lot of the mental hospitals, you know, were closed up by the states. Right. And... For people who really, you know, can't afford places like Skyland Trail and, and so forth, you know, where do we go? I mean, obviously, I know there's only so much that even you guys can do with the Grady Behavioral Health Team. But, you know, for another family out there listening, you know, we don't want them to go through what Tanya had to go through for it to take so long, you know, after he did get out of the hospital. And thank God he survived. But even being able to get, you know, properly assessed and diagnosed. Yeah, I I definitely um, agree that it's a serious challenge that we face in the um, healthcare field, and unfortunately, um, there continues to be a lack of mental health providers. Um, there was a whole era of what's known as deinstitutionalization, mm-hmm. in which 
um, the idea was to close down some of the large inpatient hospitals, psychiatric hospitals, mm -hmm. and for uh, community resources to improve. But there's also a lack of funding for community resources. I was going to say, did you see well. that surge in community re funding or resources? Um, there has <laughs> been somewhat of an increase, but mm -hmm. not enough to meet the demands mm -hmm. of the lack of inpatient hospital beds. Got it. Um, so uh, it's it's very challenging. It's definitely a systemic uh, issue, and this state, uh, the state of Georgia, um, is known for having limited mental health resources. Mm -hmm. um, they may be, um, last I checked, it was 49th in the country as wow. far as resources. We have a health. long way to go. Yes, yes. So hopefully Silence to Shame can, can partner and do some lobbying and, yes. and get and some more funding and laws passed to help. Yes, yes. Um, NAMI is a great resource. Yeah, we actually, okay. um, Pat Strode okay. over there, all the folks at NAMI Georgia, they're okay. amazing. Awesome. So we're looking to do great. some good work with them okay. as well. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, but the resources can be um, very limited. And a lot of times it takes, um, unfortunately, a persistent loved one. Like Tanya. Yes. Because I, I mean, <laughs> yes. she, uh, seriously. Definitely. You, your persistence is unmatched at, at what you did for your son, honestly. At what point did you find good care or treatment for him after I, that? I, the research was, like you said, unbelievable. Yeah. Um, eventually, I located a place. Um, it's Dee Dee Hirsch in Culver City, California. And it took them a while to call me back, even though I called the crisis unit. Mm -hmm. But when they did... Um, they were part of a clinical trial for survivors of suicide attempts. Oh, okay. And this would have been their second uh, series of it. Mm -hmm. And although Devin was not a um, candidate because we were not Los Angeles residents, mm -hmm. they looked at his story, and they validated it with the hospital, and uh, they allowed us to come. Oh, wow. But... I had to pay for a place to live near the hospital mm. for mm -hmm. eight weeks. Mm. And I know that is not cheap the in LA. The alone yeah. was just almost yeah. unbearable. Yeah. But he got through it. Um, some of those people today are his um, mm. accountability partners. They oh, are that's great. Close. Still to this day, mm -hmm. that's awesome. Yes. Um, they, they What's were the name of that? It's called Dee Dee Hirsch. Dee Dee Hirsch. And it's Survivors of Suicide Attempt. Well, there are a few others now for attempters, but I the research, yes, I would love to have one of their representatives because I was so on the show. upset that I couldn't find anything, and I said, I don't understand. He's alive now. Now what do we do? And every group that I attended, including Nami, hmm. they had something for survivors. But when you arrived, it was for survivors, like a Shanti survivor. Hmm. It would not have been for someone who wakes up alive somewhere. Oh, I So mm -hmm. if you lose someone to suicide, okay. they have a lot. Mm -hmm. If you wake up alive mm -hmm. and you're part of that family, yeah. a mm -hmm. failed suicide attempt, yeah. you are really marked with, I call it the ism, mm -hmm. illness, suicide, mental, because now you know, it, you're know you labeled. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it, it, the stigma is real. So mm -hmm. when Shanti was telling me that she wanted to do this, silence the shame, I said, yes. 
um, I have a little bitty small voice with my life as a gift. And I only started that because I thought, well, I couldn't be out here by myself on this dark road. Mm-hmm. There's no way. Yeah, tell us about my life as a gift. It, it started because I was mad. <laughs> the anger pushed me into my life as a gift because I just couldn't believe there was nothing. I said, are you serious? So I called the White House, wrote the White House. I called every little city close to Georgia. I started out of state. That's how I found Edie Hirsch. Mm-hmm. But no one really had anything. They had a Skype uh, for anonymous callers for people who were considering mm-hmm suicide suicide ideation and I said no I don't you know I don't think they need to Skype each other like that I don't want to do that so Mm -hmm. uh, there was really nothing at that time I went to American Association of Suicidology Um, I started to talk to them about it and they said we're going to get someone because we have someone who has you know this situation Mm -hmm. unmatched like Devin's he um I think he jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge or something like that, mm. and he survived. Oh, wow. mm. And he speaks uh, different conferences and things of that nature. And he said to me <laughs> himself, "No, there's not a lot out there yet." Mm-hmm. So within these five and a half years, people have worked on it. There's a, a campaign called "Live Through This," where um, survivors of failed suicide attempt they share their stories. Oh, okay. uh, it's a photographer. She goes out, she takes a picture of the person, she shares the story. Uh, um, now matters now. It's only like four or five. But my life as a gift was born because I thought I was by myself. Mm-hmm. And in and, and doing that, it was just to shed a little light. Hey, somebody's here. Right, <laughs> Can right. you help me? Yeah. So when you said you would do something, I said, please get it off the ground because my little bitty voice is not working. People are not hearing me. They didn't hear me before. Mm-hmm. There was a diagnosis. And still today, you know, all they've really told me about my son is that he has a head injury, <laughs> head trauma. So was he never, said, was well, he ever diagnosed right. with anything, big bipolar disorder? or They talked about bipolar mm-hmm. because he needed, uh, well, we started with depression medication uh, because they said, well, we'll start here. Because mm-hmm. th- there wasn't a diagnosis because we didn't come in with one. Right. We just came in with a wound to the head. Sure. Uh, so now we have this, maybe he's depressed. Well, that medicine didn't work. It actually triggered him to be more suicidal. Oh, no. Mm. Did not work for him at all. Um, and let me just touch on that because you being a psychiatrist, I mean, it, and obviously you have the ability to prescribe medicine, which is different from a psychologist. Correct. Have you seen cases, you know, and I've I've heard of situations, you know, and I'm sure it's sometimes very difficult to pinpoint the exact diagnosis sometimes with mental health because it's not as black and white as it is sometimes with cancer and diabetes and other testing. You know, talk about the importance of the patient or the person getting the right medication too, if they've, you know, could potentially be, you know, not diagnosed properly. Right, and I think that even more so important than the right medication is that they are involved with care. Okay. Um, so that they have someone who's able to follow up, mm-hmm. um, so that they have someone who they're able to contact if they are to have uh, a worsening of symptoms mm-hmm. or kind of unexpected or what's known as paradoxical kind of symptoms opposite of what you were 
of what you would typically expect. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I'm sorry, I I kind of lost. No, the I, question, I, so yeah, I was just saying, you know, t- can you talk about any cases you've seen where people have been, you know, misdiagnosed or given the wrong medication yes. and how that affects you in terms of your disorder, whatever you might have? Well, you know. Unfortunately, there is no specific test right now that tells you that a, that a person has one mental illness versus another. Okay. So it can be very... That's interesting. Yes. Yeah. It, um, it's an assessment. Right. It's based on assessment. It's an assessment. It's based on... Symptoms. Uh, and symptoms. Uh, yeah. um, observations mm-hmm. of people who care for the person. Um, if substances are involved, then that could really cloud the picture. What about MRIs of the brain and certain deficiencies in levels of certain things? Does that play into uh, um, an assessment or diagnosis? It, it does, and that's a great question. Uh, if, for example, if someone is, um, has a first break of psychosis mm-hmm. um, and you're thinking of schizophrenia, then you would like to have that person get some type of head imaging mm-hmm. or a CT scan mm-hmm. just to rule out any um, organic or biological causes for what they're experiencing. Okay. But it in of itself is not used currently uh, for diagnostic purposes. Um, and then what can also complicate it is that people present differently um, to healthcare settings. So one in one particular instance, um, they could present one way, and in another instance, they could uh, have some other things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so really getting a complete picture uh, can be difficult, which makes prescribing the right medication difficult. Mm-hmm. And then within a category of medications, uh, different medications have different side effects, um, and patients can be allergic to medications as well. So was Devin ever prescribed any medication for bipolar disorder after the depression? Yes, the depression? I asked for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. awesome. And he got it and um, for anxiety as well. And it, it's played out to be okay. You know, we've definitely had some issues with the head trauma. Mm-hmm. But overall, um, we maintain it's, it's a day-to-day thing, sometimes moment to moment. We never know exactly what it will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I really believe that um, policy mm-hmm. complicated a lot of things mm-hmm. with, with us and, and getting things done. And we have had issues where we've, you know, he's been taken involuntary and voluntary to the hospital, and um, they did not have a bed available. Mm. Yes. So what would he, how, <laughs> how would those situations play out? Yeah. They send you home. They, mm-hmm. they, they make sure that he's calm and what I don't understand about it is that we're going to give you some medication to go home with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if he was on his own because he is you know in his 20s he could very well go home and have a moment and take all of his meds and be out mm-hmm. so it's complicated and you know I it's hard to blame the system but we can do something about it. And I think when you say we lobby and we talk about it as a community and get our civic leaders involved, mm-hmm. uh, because actually Dr. V, they can't really do anything. It is a mapped out procedure that they need to go through. Their assessment 
is the guideline that they have. They have to, it's their policy. It's what they have to abide by. But we can. Mm-hmm. We could show out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Basically, that's what it is. And it's, it's right. complicated. So, you know, what he has, I don't know. Is it uncomfortable sometimes? Yes. Mm-hmm. What, what what have you found? Because um, it's interesting, and I was just looking at a documentary, um, and I have to get the name of it. It was like a mini documentary that ran on CNN, but it was talking about Silicon Valley and the secret there mm-hmm. with a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, either committing suicide or being mm-hmm. suicidal. Uh, it was quite I interesting, and they talked about how a lot of patients or, or people that suffer from mental health illnesses or disorders, they're extremely intelligent mm-hmm. and bright and smart and, you know, creative, mm-hmm. a super lot creative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And I, I've seen that in family members before. Um, can you tell us um, anything about that in terms of the mind and the brain and, and, and how that works? Um, the creative aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, well, um, I guess historically speaking, um, there can be a thin line uh, between uh, someone who's creative mm-hmm. and um, being out of touch with reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, there's there are many examples of people who've been diagnosed with schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. Um, also people who've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder mm-hmm. um, and bipolar disorder in and of itself is one in which um, there's a lot of creativity that's almost unleashed and you can be highly functioning is what I've been told Definitely. with both of highly them functioning Definitely. and it, it also brings a bit of a narcissistic type of personality mm-hmm. you are right you're very comfortable Mm-hmm. in the skin when you're conveying your braggadocious yes yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah you're you're sure that what you know is the truth right and it can be difficult to tell you otherwise right right um so that can be a common thing mm-hmm. uh even in people who maybe don't have a diagnosis mm-hmm. um but you're you're definitely correct there's there's a certain level of um there's a wide range mm-hmm. of creativity. There's a wide range of intelligence. Mm-hmm. And having a mental illness doesn't put you in one category right. or the other. Right. I think that is, um, can't be stated enough. Absolutely. Um, which also kind of, the more we know that, the more we realize that, the more we could uh, work to uh, address and target the, stim- the stigma. And that's just illness. it. Like, if, if, if people again begin to understand like you're not crazy you just you have a chemical imbalance or it's a disease like anything else that you can be treated for and again for the people contagious right we're just not and it's so many people that probably are functioning you know and that have problems and are not talking about it but if we would just break down these barriers of the shame and stigma again hence silence the shame so that we can be okay and, and people can go on, you know, living their normal is what I like to call it. It's exactly. not our normal. It's whatever your normal is. Right. And that's okay. Like, we don't, God didn't put us here to all have the exact same life and experiences. And just because I may have to take medication for this doesn't mean I still can't be married. And, 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 and of course, I know some cases are more extreme, mm-hmm. you know, than mm-hmm. others. And some people need to be hospitalized and 
there's a I saw this movie um where this gentleman had like 29 personality disorders I think it was it was just out in the movie theaters um oh gosh in the last month or so what is the name of it have you ever heard of a disorder called DOD disassociative um there was um, a disassociative identity disorder maybe um, that's it mm-hmm. DID or DOD, it's either DID or DOD. I don't know. It was really interesting though. But that's like in a really extreme case though, right? Where someone that, thinks yeah. they have twenty nine plus personalities, but yes. then there are people who just suffer from, you know, a mental health illness as a result of a traumatic situation. Yes. It could be a death of a loved one, um, which I know Cameron. We talked about that when we shared your story um, on one of the other podcasts. Even with me, my suffering from my dad's depression. Or postpartum, you know, having a kid, serving in the military, mm-hmm. you know, PTSD is real. I don't think we talk enough about that. And Definitely. I think so many of our brave men and women come home mm-hmm. and that's kind of brushed under the rug and not really brought to the forefront. You know, so we want to make sure we're supporting survivors of PTSD, you know, through Silence of Shame. We just have to start talking about it again. Yes. I can't say this enough. Um we're doing our first mental health fair on May 6th and, you know, just have to thank Cameron and Tanya and Rhonda and Jasmine and Tia and everybody, um, Portia on the team um, that have been helping um, to really make it happen. Uh, we are doing it on May 6th, like I mentioned, at Jean Charles Young Middle School. This is in Atlanta, Georgia, so I don't know if you can come to town. Um but we certainly hope um, that you guys can join us. We're doing a panel from 2 to 4 p.m., and we're going to have service providers on hand before that. And we actually have representatives from Morehouse School of Medicine and Grady and Emory. And we also will have Shamik Holesclaw, who is a former WNBA player, um, who wrote a book about her bipolar disorder last year. So we're honored to have her. And then Pat Strode from NAMI awesome. will be on there. My sister, Anjali. Uh, Das Arnold will be on there sharing her story. So it's going to be great. Um, And this is just the first of many things that we want to do. We want to partner with My Life is a Gift for Suicide Prevention Month and and really continue to just keep the conversation going. And and if you've noticed, there's so much going on right now um, in terms of the news covering stories. Just last week, um, there was a lot of talk with Prince Harry um, talking about uh, his grief and depression really 20 years after you know his mom passed it finally all kind of came to a head for him and I know he and his brother and his um, sister-in-law have started an organization I think called heads is it heads together heads together yes um and and their hashtag is okay to say and so you know hopefully we can meet you Prince Harry and have you on the show or do some work with you guys one day and Lady Gaga we want to talk to Selena for what she's gone through with her anxiety. Um, it's just so many people out there sharing now. Kendrick Lamar has talked about his depression. Even I read an article about Chance the Rapper. And so I'm saying all of these high-profile names because I worked in a high-profile industry in music and really pulling together people in the entertainment industry to kind of help. Because, you know, mm-hmm. we live in the age of social media and right. everybody... You know, and it's so, so funny now looking at my time, my friend's timeline, right, on Facebook. 
when kids graduate from high school now, they have photo shoots. Wow. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we got a picture taken, right. maybe, or even like prom. We had our little disposable cameras, right. but now there's like a photo shoot for everything and the red carpet and da 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 da. And so we live in an age where everyone is intrigued mm-hmm. with this celebrity lifestyle, if you will. And so that's why I want the celebrities to continue to come on and talk about it and say it's okay or if you have family members that have experienced let's talk about it let's share it let's show these kids that there is no shame let's remove that stigma so we can take all of that away and people can lead somewhat normal lives you know, what are some of the biggest challenges that you see that we face right now regarding mental health and and some of the the laws or or funding or things that we really, really need? Or what strides have you seen that we've made over the last five years? Well, um, that's a very interesting question. I mean, I know it's not just a simple yes or no or this or that, but anything that comes to mind? Um, Well, there's a lot to be seen um, with uh, the Trump administration mm-hmm. and uh, how funding goes. Yes. Um, and it seems unlikely that um, adequate support uh, will come from that source. That's so unfortunate. Uh, and I would so say true. that it does speak to and highlight what Tanya said about parents, loved ones, communities coming out, showing their support. Showing their force, yes, Mm -hmm. showing their power, Mm -hmm. um, and um, making this, turning this into a movement Mm -hmm. that's able to uh, overcome obstacles, uh, even when there aren't apparent resources. Um, Yeah. Well, Tanya, can you talk about that as a parent? And it's obviously a parent still, I mean, it's still a day-to-day for oh, you yeah. guys. It and, will and, be. You yeah. know what the head trauma it will be. Um, but I've seen Devin. He seems to be you know, doing much better. Thank okay. God. He's okay. He. Um, and we want to continue to be able to support him. What else do you think is needed on your end, even for your son and for I, what I, you're trying to I do with my life like as a gift? I would like to see just more resources. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I like to develop something. What type of resource? What would be support helpful? Support groups. You know, mm-hmm. you can go to support groups at some of these facilities, I won't name, and you can have uh, from Alcoholic Anonymous to Shopaholics to Gamblers Anonymous, Mm -hmm. but you don't have anything for someone who wakes up why? I find that to be really interesting, and and that's across the board. So um, one of our committee members, Rhonda Morgan, mentioned that when her daughter, and unfortunately her daughter committed suicide and did not survive, Um, But she went to an organization called The Link. Mm -hmm. It would be interesting, and I'd even take a meeting with you to talk to The Link to see if they don't offer, because I know they offer support groups for suicide, you know, survivors of suicide. But if they can offer another type of group, as you mentioned, you know, survivors of suicide attempt. And because I think Rhonda got so much out of it. You know, maybe it's just an extension and even some of the funding that we can raise with Silence of Shame could maybe help the link organization to create just that. I I did um, a couple of years ago. I did speak with um, the owner and uh, we talked about it at one of the American Association of Suicidology. So why don't we follow up on that? Let's do that. I would like that because my little voice can't be heard, but 
but yours your little voice is a big voice and we're gonna stop that right I, now I'm coming with y'all this she is so though. modest <laughs> tanya does so has gross. done so much work and research um as it relates to suicide your voice is big what i'm gonna do is just amplify it but no more is it just your little voice your voice is powerful and we need it and we're just gonna put our voices together to make a bigger one how about that that i want all of us to do that the communities everywhere because it's so important i mean you know when you watch the news right now we're suffering mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. literally mm-hmm. that that's the easiest way to put it we are suffering and children are depressed mm-hmm. and uh, bullying, cutting. Mm-hmm. All of these things are so prevalent today. And I can't remember it being that way when I was yeah, growing up. Yeah, me either. It is different. It's I just mean, different and complicated. And they're sad and they're anxious about social media. And you're seeing and like you attempted suicide rates at colleges have up. A, a, enough people following you today and then none of these people can actually reach out and touch you and it makes you sad when you get home and you act out with your parents and children don't go outside and play anymore it's just we're suffering mm-hmm. well we certainly have a lot more work to do um i want to make the announcement for may 5th may 5th may 5th that is our global we were saying national but it's our global because we're hoping that we get some tweets from around the world um, and post, but it's our global silence the shame day. And what we need you to do is to you can go on our website. Um, we'll have it also up as our um, on our Facebook page, and and we'll have the image on our Instagram page that you can post on May fifth using the hashtag silence the shame. Hashtag silence the shame. We want to be trending that 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 day. So we need everybody to get your friends and parents and coworkers and community leaders, faith leaders. Um, it's important to mention, too, um, on May 7th, we're doing Silence the Shame Day at our church at Ebenezer. And it will be the first time that our senior pastor, Dr. Raphael G. Warnock, is so gracious. I'm very excited to have him on the panel on May 6th. But it will be the first time that we're talking about mental health in the church. And I think that's a really big deal. Mm-hmm. And we're hoping to get some other churches on board to start bringing the conversation up of mental health and talking about it. So, you know, talk to your church members and get them to get on board on on um, Friday the 5th. And if you're in Atlanta, please um, consider coming out to our mental health fair. Again, we have uh, the panelists. I mean, gosh, I'm so excited about everyone on the panel from Dr. Raphael G. Warnock at Ebenezer to Dr. Keith Wood who I think is one of your colleagues um, at Emory. Shamik Holsclaw, as I mentioned, Dr. Sarah Vinson, who also is a psychiatrist at Morehouse School of Medicine. Uh, Teresa Ford, who is a mental health advocate. We're excited to hear her story of recovery. Dr. Joshua Murphy, who is the chief operations officer at Fulton DeKalb Hospital Authority. My sister, as I mentioned, Anjali Das Arnold. Pat Stroke from NAMI. And then our moderator, for the panel will be Dr. Nadine Caslow from Emory, and she also is the chief psychologist at Grady. So we have like the A team um, for our panel. So it, it's going to be a good time, and hopefully we can get some wonderful conversations going. We're going to have some food and take some pictures and have some fun and, and really just open up this conversation um, as we continue to silence the shame. Uh, we we want to thank, as always, um, 
Joy, our producer and uh, DJ Drama from Mean Street Studios, who allow us to tape um, because we don't have funding yet, but we know we will soon. But thank you for everyone that that's been on this silence the train, silence the shame train. It's going to continue on moving around the country and around the world. And and, and again, we hope to to just have some wonderful partnerships. And Dr. V, we want to just thank you for, again, taking the time out to come in today. We hope we can have you and even some of your other colleagues join the conversation. Um, And Tanya, you you know what I feel about you. You are my sister. You know, I love you. I am in this with you. Uh, Devin is my little brother. I'm here to support him and... I'm so proud of you. Guys, Tanya's really shy, and this is, you don't understand, this is a big deal to have her here today. And we're just so proud of you. And Silence to Shame is going to help blow up My Life is a Gift. And, yes, everybody's life is a gift. My father's life was a gift. My best friend's life was a gift. They're just not no longer here with us. Um, but just know that on your most darkest days, be open to talking to someone, be open to sharing, uh, be open to silencing that shame. I, I remember my own very, very dark thoughts a couple years ago when I, mean, I had thought about my funeral, mm. how it would affect my family, what I would tell them, what they would say after I was gone. You know, I had done so much to be so great in entertainment with my legacy, just be lost after that if I took my own life and I would forever have a cloud over my life that people would say oh she committed suicide and forget everything else that I did and so you know I'm human you know but those were very real thoughts and I just I work really hard not to go back there um and I you know I still have moments of my bouts with depression I'm no longer on antidepressants but I can recognize my triggers now and I just when I feel myself dipping I go and work out um I pray and and um I'm working now to find the right therapist so that I can have someone that I can see just on an ongoing basis I think seeing a therapist does not mean you know anything other than it's just having an objective person to bounce things it's off the of best thing ever and I, I think you know one. having a therapist doesn't even mean you have a mental health illness or disorder or function or whatever it's, it's just sometimes you know having someone objective in your life to talk to that's not a family member or a friend that can talk to you and help you get through things so I'm pushing forward I, I have a lot more left to do I'm glad to to be here and to still be able to share um, and help others and and thank you Cameron for all that you do um, for silence of shame we love you and support you all right guys this is it this is episode four we will see you um next week um hopefully at the mental health fair and symposium but we need you to post tweet share and silence the shame on may 5th peace out and god bless